in the Lord of the Rings, which is where we're starting today, not in Ecclesiastes. We'll get to Ecclesiastes. In the Lord of the Rings, a group of nine, a fellowship of nine important people go on this journey. And they are on this journey in the Lord of the Rings. And they eventually come to this dangerous place on their journey kind of an abandoned ghost town of mines in a mountain, the mountain of Moria. And they are wandering through this cavernous ghost town and they can tell we need to be quiet. We need to be quiet because there's enemies lurking here. So let's like creep and sneak and get through here as quietly as possible. And for days they are creeping quietly through these dark mines, hoping not to wake the enemy to get to the other side. And eventually they come to this room and they stop and wait in this room and they are quietly sitting there reading this book when Peregrine Took, Pippin, if you know the movie, leans up against a well and bumps a bucket down into the well and all you hear is... And it hits about 500 times as it travels apparently a million feet down and just makes all kinds of noise, which wakes up the bad guys. And all of the effort for days and days of creeping and quiet and sneezing into your elbows, all of it wasted by one foolish act. A fool of a toque, that one. All the wise, careful planning wasted, outweighed by one foolish action. And that is what we see in our passage in Ecclesiastes today. That wisdom is great. Wisdom is something we need. Wisdom is how we should live our lives. And yet, there seems to be this weakness in wisdom. And that you build up this wonderful tower of wisdom and all it takes is a bump of folly and all that your wisdom built comes crumbling down. So as we look at our passage, we're continuing in Ecclesiastes, picking up in chapter 9. You can look in your bulletins or your Bibles. We're in chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. We're going to go through the end of chapter 10. And really, we're continuing this series. And throughout Ecclesiastes, we've seen the value of wisdom, how we need to live wisely. And wisdom has been good. We need wisdom. We need it. And yet here he's kind of starting to realize as, as much as seeking wisdom is helpful, it can get undone so quickly. And so let's keep that in mind as we look at the Word today, starting in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 13. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, 
but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks for your word. We thank you that you speak to us in ways that are wise and true, and that we can trust fully your word, for you speak your truth through it, that it is your inspired and infallible and inerrant word, and it goes forth, O God, in its purity. And I pray, O Lord, that you would use me in spite of my sin and my weakness and my foolishness to faithfully and truly proclaim your word and give us ears to hear, O God, Open our hearts and minds to hear your word today. Spirit, work in and through us that we might know your truth, that we might believe it and live by it. And so glorify you in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been here in Ecclesiastes now for about 10 or so weeks, and we've been studying wisdom and what it means to live wisely. And this morning, the question I want us thinking about is, if wisdom is so good, then does it have any weaknesses? What are the the holes, the Achilles heel of wisdom? What's the problem, if any, with wisdom? And so our passage begins with a picture of wisdom's weakness, though it doesn't seem that way at first. 
The author of Ecclesiastes shares an example of what he has seen, that this little city with very few people is attacked by a great king and his army. And the city is besieged. And this great king is trying to conquer and beat down the walls of this city by force. And by any measure, you would expect this little city is not going to last very long. The overwhelming power of the army would eventually prevail. But wisdom that this poor wise man devised a plan to save the city. And the plan worked. The city was saved. And in verse 16, we are told... Wisdom is better than might. And then in verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. And so we look at that story and we're like, yeah, wisdom is great. Wisdom outweighs armies and everything. It's a good thing, just like the author of Ecclesiastes has been telling us. And you're like, well, this is a picture of wisdom's power. I thought we were talking about weakness. Well, listen to verses 15 and 16. There was found in the city a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The poor man who saved the city by his wisdom was forgotten. The true hero of the battle was not celebrated. And so the victory that wisdom won is tarnished by the ungrateful response of the city. So what then is the weakness of wisdom? Well, I think we see it most clearly in verse 1 of chapter 10. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. As good as wisdom is, all it takes is a little bit of folly to tarnish its shine. Consider baseball. The World Series just ended. So in baseball, if you're a pitcher, you can throw eight perfect innings, striking out batter after batter, and the crowd is cheering and go, go, go. And you come in the ninth inning and you throw and boom. And you give up a home run and you lose the game. All of the great things you did, the first eight innings, don't seem to matter anymore. That one mistake made sure that all the earlier success was gone. So it is with wisdom. The picture of victory for that little city is soured by the way the poor wise man is forgotten. And so it's kind of like that hair you find in your entree at the restaurant. It's kind of like the typo you find in an article that you're reading that just really bothers you. It's like the disappointing finale to your favorite TV show that just didn't end the way you wanted it to end. We have a longing for perfection, and we are bothered when something ruins what is truly good. That one mistake, one wrong word, One lapse of judgment can undo all the good that wisdom has produced. And so that's the weakness of wisdom we see in our passage, that wisdom is fragile. In other words, the blessings of wisdom, like a ceramic vase, are easily broken with just a little nudge. 
And see, here's the problem. Typically with things that are fragile, we do everything we can to protect them. In our house, with four young boys, we just try not to have anything fragile. But anything that is fragile, we put way up high. We put it out of the way, out of high traffic areas where they don't play. Because we want to protect things that are easily broken. But you can't do that with wisdom. Wisdom is not a vase that you can safely set up on the mantle. We must use our wisdom every day of our lives. And as we live, the blessings of wisdom are under constant threat from the danger of folly. And we can group these dangers into two very broad categories of folly. There's accidental folly and danger, and there's intentional folly and danger. We see how wisdom is susceptible to accidental dangers in verses 8 through 11. The author of Ecclesiastes describes a number of situations where we might accidentally harm ourselves or others. And I think verse 9 is the best for our community right here. It says, He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. I feel like that's one of those, I can get an amen from most of you on that. That we live in farm country, in mining country, in fracking country. We are used to dangerous machines and doing jobs that require a lot of care. Because if you are not careful and you are careless, trouble is coming. You could be seriously injured and seriously harmed by an accident. And it doesn't matter if every day of your life up until then you were wise and careful. One careless mistake can undo all of it. In this case, folly is not intentional recklessness. It just comes from the fact that life has a lot of high-risk activities. That one moment of daydreaming when you shouldn't be daydreaming could lead to severe consequences. That accidents happen. And the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to show us that even the wisest People are susceptible to suffering unexpected accidents and bringing on themselves severe consequences. And so he warns us, accidental dangers can trip us up in our pursuit of wisdom. But it isn't just accidental dangers we face. Because of our own sinfulness, we are a danger to ourselves. That we can be foolish especially with our words. That's what we see in verses 12 through 15, where the author of Ecclesiastes describes how fools multiply their words even when they don't know what they're talking about. We probably have plenty of words that we have spoken that we wish we could take back. Perhaps words from this week or even this morning that we wish that we could take back. It is easy for us to say things that we wish we could have said differently or not said at all. And so, while mining and farming are high-risk, dangerous professions, I actually think one of the most frightening, high-risk jobs in all the world is someone who hosts a daily live television show. I think that is the most frightening thing in the world, that you're on camera speaking every day, being broadcast and recorded worldwide, and no one watches you. You're just on like in the doctor's office waiting room. No one is really listening to what you are saying. But if you say something wrong 
Or if you slip up and do something foolish, that clip is cut and shared with everyone in all the world. And you might lose your job over it. Everyone will judge you based on that one mistake. It doesn't matter how many perfect shows where you said all the right things came before it. All that matters is that one slip up. Now, I don't think any of us are TV hosts. I I don't watch a lot of TV, but I don't think you are. But our words are still heard by our family, our friends, and our co-workers. And we may speak wisely most of the time, but wisdom is fragile. All it takes is one outburst, one poorly thought out sentence to tarnish our reputation as someone who is wise. The damage can be significant and it can be swift. And so we would do well to heed our New Testament reading from Colossians 4 to let our speech always be gracious. To realize that wisdom is this very fragile thing and just a little bit of folly can do a lot of damage. And as helpful as this passage is for us personally, we really need to notice the author of Ecclesiastes is speaking to a very specific audience. In fact, he has in mind a very narrow set of people that he is primarily speaking to. And those are rulers and leaders. That we saw in that opening picture, that great king attacking a little city. And we see this one man who steps up and wisely leads the city to safety. That leaders and rulers can lead wisely, but all it takes is a little folly for the blessings of wisdom to quickly be replaced by catastrophic consequences. Take our Old Testament reading in King Hezekiah. For the most part, you can look in the Bible and read about all the great stuff Hezekiah did. That when Hezekiah was king, the Assyrian Empire came to attack and conquer Jerusalem. And Hezekiah trusted in the Lord and his word, and he helped his city survive. He put his faith in God, and God delivered them. He led his people away from idols and into greater faithfulness to the Lord. He led wisely in so many ways, and yet we read he acted foolishly. By giving the Babylonians a tour of all of the city's defenses, all of the city's riches, and that sensitive intel that seemed so very innocent in future years would have devastating consequences as those Babylonians would come and pillage Jerusalem. And so though Hezekiah was wise, this act of folly brought severe consequences to his people. And so the author of Ecclesiastes knows this happens, and so he shares the importance of rulers using wisdom. We see it in verses 16 and 17. He says, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. So the author pronounces a woe on the land ruled by a foolish king, while he pronounces a blessing on the land ruled by a wise king. 
These verses reveal that rulers must lead wisely because of the extent of their impact. If any one of us makes a foolish mistake, we affect ourselves. Maybe a few other people. But when a leader or ruler makes a foolish mistake, the effects can be far-reaching. When a leader is foolish, we are told the whole land suffers. And when our leaders are wise, we are told the whole land is blessed. We see an example in verses 5-7 through where we read about a ruler who makes some kind of error that seems to flip the kingdom upside down, that fools are put in power and those best suited to rule are treated poorly like slaves. And so because of the authority given to rulers and leaders, we must see that the big impact they make on so many people calls for greater wisdom. Now, it is just a hint tempting to make any comparison here to our leaders, but I'm going to stick closer to home to the church, to the kingdom that we are primary citizens of. Stick to something that's personal to me. Because it seems that every year we find another well-known, successful pastor who falls, who had a successful, thriving, growing ministry touching many people And all of a sudden, it comes crashing down through one act of folly. It doesn't matter how many best-selling books they wrote. It doesn't matter how many conferences they spoke to. It doesn't matter how many people attended that church or how great the sermons were. All it takes is a little folly for it to all come crashing down. For the land to suffer. For people to not just leave the church, but maybe to leave Jesus entirely. We see that in the church. We can see it everywhere in smaller positions of leadership and in greater positions of leadership. That blessing and cursing can flow from the wisdom or folly of leaders. And sometimes that fall happens from a specific sin or specific error. But other times we are told it can come from the gradual neglect of a ruler's duty. Look at verse 18. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. So just as our homes deteriorate and slowly and need proper maintenance, so also rulers must wisely be attentive to dangers that slowly affect their people. We are in danger when our leaders are busy feasting for self-indulgence or fighting over silly issues because that leads to people suffering when what needs to be done does not get done. And so the author of Ecclesiastes is showing us the big impact that leaders can have on their people for better or for worse. And so it comes as no surprise that twice in here, he tells us that leaders end up getting a lot of criticism. And no ruler is perfect, so you can find anything to criticize any kind of leader whatsoever. But as verses 4 and 20 show us, criticizing a ruler can be dangerous. And so just as leaders need to navigate high-risk situations, so also we under-leaders need to wisely consider how and when to criticize our rulers. That even when criticizing rulers and leaders, we should heed our New Testament reading that says, let our speech always be gracious, knowing that we may have to answer for what we say. 
See, there's plenty to criticize about our leaders, whether the leader is a pastor of a church, whether the leader is a governor, a president, whoever it may be. could be a leader of a school board, a leader of a volunteer organization. There's always something to criticize because there's always impact that comes from leaders. And so we should pray for good, wise leaders. We should desire leaders that will lead with wisdom because wise leaders are a blessing to those whom they lead. But here's the scary thing. There's weakness to wisdom. Even the wisest and best leaders are prone to folly. Consider King David, the greatest, the standard for the kings of Israel, a man after God's own heart whose legacy was tarnished by his folly. He had an affair with a married woman and covered it up by having that woman's husband killed. And then later in life, Instead of doing something necessarily wrong, he neglected to do what needed to be done in disciplining his sons, one of whom committed rape and another led a violent revolt to overthrow the kingdom. This is David, the best, the standard of the kings, and yet as wise as he was, folly brought that kingdom down in so many ways. And we're left thinking, if we have this whole Bible full of kings, we have books called Kings in here, and we see ruler after ruler doing good things, but not this, but not this, but not this. We're we're left thinking, where are we going to find anybody good? Well, thankfully, there is a good king in the Bible, one who is truly wise and ruled flawlessly. That David's descendant, Jesus of Nazareth, lived wisely in every respect. He never veered off the road of wisdom to fall into folly. Jesus never once sinned, not even accidentally, not even with one flippant comment of his words. He resisted every temptation. He avoided every pitfall. And though he was unjustly executed by his rulers, God raised him from the dead, vindicating his perfect righteousness and wisdom. See, Jesus is our righteous one who did not fall into folly. His wisdom had no weakness. His wisdom remains perfect and will never fail. And we can have hope and faith knowing that above every earthly ruler today, Jesus is our wise and righteous King who blesses His people beyond measure by His good rule. He is the one who leads us by His Word on the right path. He empowers us to walk that path by filling us with the Holy Spirit so we can live like Him for His glory. But there's that weakness of wisdom again. As we strive to live wisely for Jesus, our attempts will have some folly in them. I don't know about you, but as I say those prayers of confession every week, I don't have a shortage of things to reflect on. As we reflect back on our actions and words, I imagine for many of us that our folly, our sin, sticks out like a fly in your soup. Yeah, there's a lot of good soup in there, but that fly, it's all I can see right now. That when we look back at our lives, when we look at our hearts, we are more ashamed of our sins than we are proud of our good deeds. We feel more defined by our folly than by our wisdom. And that's how we walk. But we walk under a ruler who forgives our folly. 
that we have forgiveness for all of the ways in which we sin like fools and we sin against our merciful King. And yeah, in all of us, there is plenty to criticize. And we know that we could never stand before the judgment seat of God on our own, but we get to stand in Christ and His perfect righteousness. We stand in Him and His perfect wisdom, knowing we have received it as the gracious gift of our King who has ruled us so wisely and will rule us forever and ever. So let us not only watch our words, but let us watch our walk, striving to live wisely for our wise King. Let us pray. Oh God, we do pray that you would help us to have godly and good rulers, ones that reflect Christ. We pray, first of all, that we would have godly, wise rulers for the church, for this heavenly kingdom that you have established here on earth, this spiritual kingdom. We pray for godly pastors to serve your churches around the world, for godly elders and deacons. We pray for people who will live out their faith in this world. We pray also for governing leaders who will rule wisely, who will not be prone to folly, who will not do harm or cause cursing on the land, but rather would bless the land. We pray for that at every level of government. Oh God, we pray even for the local forms of government that seem small and insignificant and even those that seem so very beyond our control. We ask, oh God, that you would bless your world with good and godly leaders in every nation, but most of all, that you would help us as your people to live as wise people following Jesus. God, we know that only you can do this because we are so prone to folly. So strengthen us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.